Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Hi, and welcome to the winemakers. This is Brian Casey. Bart and I are still on the road. We are at... The Mecca of Rhone yeah, Varietals. I was say, we're at the Mecca today. We're at Tablas Creek. I had never been here before. Bart, Bart, I guess, had been here a couple times mm-hmm. um, when you were down for Hospice to Rhone. Or... Yeah, we came out and, and did the tasting and uh, kind of tripped around the property a little bit. Yeah. and uh, Nothing like what we've seen today, though. Nothing. No. Uh, Jason Haas was nice enough to hook us up with uh, Nathan Stewart, his uh, shepherd here on the property. And... Uh, he took us out this morning for a little tour, and we thought we'd sit down and have a chat. Uh, how you doing, Nathan? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. It's a beautiful day. It hasn't gotten too hot in Paso yet, so that's No, a it's actually nice. We were originally going to set up inside, but it's so nice out here, and I love your little gazebo area. Yeah, this patio is kind of oh. a sweet spot. And Nathan's suffering a bit because he did get bit by a bee. I've lost all <laughs> my stung. knuckles. They've all just become one balloon. His uh, anyway. his right hand Arm. looks like a doctor's glove when you blow it up. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly it. <laughs> a little bit. I'm kind of concerned for him, but he doesn't seem to be worried. So. Um, I think that's part of being a beekeeper, right? Is you're going to get stung? Yeah. Well, I'm not the beekeeper. Here. I was going to say, is Jordy's, that part of your job? No, yeah. Jordy's the beekeeper. So our viticulturist okay. is the beekeeper. So oh, you were okay. just screwing around today, then? Yeah. So I. Okay. <laughs> it was just our two departments overlapped a little bit today. That's all that happened. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> well, Nathan, why don't you tell us a little bit about what it is exactly you do out here on the property? The um, yeah. So I'm the full time shepherd at Tablas Creek. So. Uh, we, uh, we've got a little over 200 Dorpers crossed with New Mexican doll sheep here on the property. And um, we move them around the property to keep the weeds down during uh, the dormant season, because in the growing season, we can't run them into the vineyard. And uh, so- because, yes, Not yet, not yet. Yeah, I know, yeah. I'm working on them. The, um, so as soon as I can uh, convince Jason to rip out 120 acres and retrellis everything higher, that'll be awesome. But no problem. <laughs> it might, I might need to be a little patient. <laughs> no, but the, um, we, with the herd size we have right now, we drop about 200 pounds of manure a day. Wow. So all winter long, they're moving through the vineyard, cut, cutting the grass, gaining about half a pound a day. Um, at peak season when the grass is just right and they're young and really growing fast and at the same time they're dropping 200 pounds of manure and um that doesn't even count urine which it's funny to talk about urine but it's really high in nitrogen and um it also i forget where i was going with this oh well, yeah what well, about really urine because most people would think that urine is like bad like you go if the animals go pee on something that they that it becomes like somehow toxic or something. Well, I don't know if I should recommend this, but you can do it in your backyard. Just piss on your lawn in one right. spot a couple times, right. and it usually will burn, right? Well, that right. depends on what you've been drinking too, right? True, probably. Okay. <laughs> sure. In, in all our cases, too much alcohol. Right, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, it, it turns red and usually makes a burnt mark in your lawn because it's too high in nitrogen. So, so that the gets burning is out. actually, yeah, that's really yeah. interesting. It's too high in nitrogen. Right. So it gets leached out when it rains, and so all that nitrogen is super available to the plants. Um, so it's a um, 
a great benefit to the vineyard. Also, in the fall, they come through and clean up after harvest. And so what's laying on the ground? A bunch of rotten, diseased, whatever, you know, whatever had any issues during the growing season, whether it was mildew or some bugs in it or something like that, that's laying on the ground. And the sheep come through and clean that up. So that keeps everything from going dormant into next year and coming back and being a problem again. So it doesn't mean we don't have, you know, issues with mildew at times, but it helps keep that cycle from, you know, being as efficient as it would right. be otherwise. Yeah. Right. And not only do you have sheep, you got, don't you have alpaca out here or something? We've got, um, uh, I think we're down, we have or have two you eat, alpacas. Have you eaten those yet? No, no. no. I've, <laughs> I've tried to sell them off to Miss Stewarty, the Peruvian restaurant, but they won't take them. <laughs> the, um, yeah, so we've got two alpacas, one llama. Uh, two guardian dogs, which are Spanish Mastiffs, which you'll have to meet one of them before you leave because... They're big, right? They're really big. Yeah. Okay. Um, we weighed Adelita at the vet the other day. She was 145 pounds. Wow. <laughs> um, and she's just a ball of love until the sun goes down, and then she becomes a very aggressive protecting dog. And she's, Protecting against what? Um, mountain lions. We've got quite a big uh, mountain lion problem out here. So we lost a lot of sheep last year to predation coyotes mountain lions and we've only lost two this year so these dogs have been and is it just the benefit. presence of the dog that just yeah, keeps them away the best part like yeah. finding balance in nature is so cool instead of trying to we've been covering we've been talking about this a lot today it's like absolutely snuffing something out which has never happened um it's a fact that in the united states we've spent billions of dollars to try to eradicate species and we haven't eradicated a single species in the u.s yet so right. Um, instead of doing that, trying to find a balance, and the dogs are that. Um, the the lions are still here. Yep. They move on to something else that's easier to eat that's right. not barking at them. Right. Um, cats hate noise in general, and um, so the dogs are fine. The sheep are fine. The cats fine. No more fences. No. It just like it eliminates so much, you know, man influence that usually has to take place. You know there's there's not an easy way to do it so finding any balance in nature is so the rad. do the guardian dogs also kind of help shepherd the do they manage the no, flock no, no. They, they um they're totally different than like a border collie or australian shepherd so it's a it's amazing how different they are as dogs um if my dog goes in the pen with the sheep all the sheep know it's there and they're very uncomfortable with my dog because she's a border collie and she's going to move them right those dogs, after two days in the pen with the sheep, they were licking the sheep's nose, laying down <laughs> with the sheep. The sheep were laying with them. It was spooky how fast they just became one with the herd. Um, so they're just like sheep. And are they always with the herd? Always with the herd. Wow. Rain or shine, they're always with the herd. So that we've got a mobile dog house that... Um, they refuse to use when it rains, but it, when it's sunny, they'll lay under it for shade or something. But yeah, right. we, we've got so much oak woodlands here, they, they stay pretty comfortable anyways. Right. So. so we've got to back up a little bit here because the reason why Tablas has the sheep that they do is because you guys are farming organically, biodynamically, and yep. probably the closest real sustainable ranch that we've been to i mean truly sustainable um that we've been to or or have you know spent some time with yeah um and and those sheep when they're you were speaking about uh, to us earlier 
those sheep when they're not working in the vineyards that are out in the forest land. Mm -hmm. And um, regenerative farming is something that's being talked about now, which is fascinating to us. Can you kind of go into a little bit what you were telling us about when the sheep, the work the sheep are doing when they're not working in the vineyard and how that's affecting the whole property? Yeah, there's there's so much. So, um, so the sheep, when they're not in the vineyard, they're in the rest of our property. We've got 120 acres under vine, 260 acres in all. So do the math. I'm not going to. <laughs> um, so we have really smart listeners. Good, good, good. The, uh, <laughs> so what's great about that is we've got a lot of woodlands um, there. We've always got fire issues in California. Um, you could go out under 100, I'm guessing, a hundred, let's say a hundred acres of forest and weed whack the whole thing. Now you've knocked all that organic matter, all that fire hazard down, but it's still there. When the sheep come through, it's gone. They replace all that with fertile manure. Um, and, uh, so that's just for the fire prevention on, in the summertime in our forested area, that's been great. Also, the way we're managing them, moving them f- very frequently, we're moving them every two to three days. Um, that encourages perennial grasses to come back. So we're not only are we building soil, making healthier soil, we're bringing back native plants that were here before we came along and brought all the European varieties. You know, pretty much all the annual grasses you see in California are not from here. Right. Oat grass. Um, all that stuff. Uh, California was originally a perennial bunch grass landscape. Right. And perennial bunch grasses do really good in droughts, <laughs> almost mm. like they were meant to be in California. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, perennial bunch grasses also hold moisture better. You know, so there's all these reasons why we want to move back towards a more perennial, you know, ecosystem right. or uh, biome, you could say. So uh, we want to hold more water more water holding capacity in our soil through more perennial grasses all this stuff is keeping more water on our property um and when we you know when water is so important for us in california we're constantly thinking about how much water we have and i've said this probably too many times now but i it, think it's so important that what we do is tablas farming carbon um whether it's with the sheep or how we are managing the land or how we're farming the vineyard that all end goal is, you know, more carbon in the soil, more carbon holds more water. We can hold way more water in our soil than we could ever hold in tanks. So stop thinking about infrastructure building up more tanks. Um, I wish I had the number in my head, but you can look it up for every extra inch of, you know, fertile soil, how much water, more water holding capacity is. It's, it's just millions and millions of gallons of water. Right. Um, And and then the other thing that goes on with the sheep in the forest or any livestock around the forest is that, as you were telling us earlier, an untouched forest just becomes, you know, leaves and dead stuff and it never gets turned over. It never gets. Right. And so therefore it just becomes kind of a sterile environment. Right. We've we we have this idea of if you just leave it alone, it'll be the way it was. Right. But we put up fences 100 years ago. You know, we've we've already had our fingers in the pot you know we've already been stirring things and so just removing animals from the land is a horrible thing to do um 
Alan Savory, certification. You cannot remove animals from the landscape. These landscapes evolved with these animals and they need them on the landscape. So, um, so yeah, so having impact, a healthy impact of some form of, you know, before it was, there was elk and deer and like in way bigger numbers here in California, right? right? Uh, Buffalo and grizzly. And there was a lot going on and all that was having impacts on these forests. Also, we had a lot more, um, you know, lightning strike forest fires that weren't maintained. So things were getting cleared out in the natural way more um, at regular intervals instead of a hundred year fire like right. we have. Um, so every 50 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, all that to say, what was I saying with that? Well, no, I think I think you kind of covered that. I was just trying to make the point that the work that you're doing in the forest land is equally as important as the work you're doing in the vineyards as far as just, you know, um, putting carbon back into the land and um, and for the health of the property. Well, people listening, if they're not here, they can't see what we were talking about earlier is that they're they're wondering why are you talking about forests? Like I thought you guys were at a winery (laughs) Um, because we are surrounded by forests. And what you were saying earlier is that it used to all be forest here Mm -hmm. and all this got cleared for agriculture so that we could plant stuff. Yeah. So there is still pockets of forest around here. I mean, we're surrounded all the hilltops. I'd say there's more forest in this part of Paso Robles, there's more forest than there is clear land, Absolutely. without a doubt. Yeah. And, yeah. and and what is cleared, from what you were saying earlier, was cleared by hand. It was cleared with intention. Yeah. It's not just yeah. an area of pasture land. Yeah, this isn't an open meadow like up in the Sierras or something. Right. These were, we, we cleared this to, so we could farm it, you know, right. 100 years ago. And so, you know, now we have ordinance protecting our woodlands. So we, you know, there's, so there's not more clearing going on. Um, so, which is good, because otherwise we just clear it all off probably eventually. Right. Right. Um, yeah. But so we we do have a blessing of having this amazing balance between woodland and and then also you know in our vineyard we're constantly planting fruit trees. So, uh, I think it's awesome that at Tablas Creek we are honest about the fact that you know we've just accept yeah we're this is a monoculture. Right. <laughs> like right. nobody wants to talk about vineyards as a monoculture. It's it's like you know. Uh, too fancy to be a monoculture like it could be broccoli or it can be vineyards I don't care what you're making with it it's a monoculture you know and we drastically affected 120 acres and we're aware of that and conscious of that and so we're trying to do anything we can to offset that impact Um, so planting in every acre we're putting fruit trees Um, so there's a bunch of things that does you know monoculture has a bunch of negatives one of them is um, the profile of your root system all vines have about the same root system and that's going to pull the same material from the same level in the soil where trees are pulling roots, you know, have roots go much deeper mm. and they're mining different minerals from different depths in the soil. And that comes out in leaves. And in the fall, those leaves drop on the surface of the ground and you've got a whole cycle of minerals. Yeah. It's so cool. That's, that's I get excited about stuff yeah, like yeah, that. No, that's yeah. good. That's good. Stuff. And, um, so anything we can do to break up our, you know, the profile of our root system, um, we're trying to do and then bringing in beneficial plants as I mentioned we're seeding in beneficial flowers that bring different insects um, uh, and making for happy bees because you got bees on the property obviously you can yep, tell by yep. your hand you definitely have one at least and the bees want they're they don't really have any relationship with uh, vines with grapes and so you know if you got 
fruit trees and um, uh, what were we talking about? The um, star thistle. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they like star thistle they, too. Yeah, if you've ever had honey, they might from be the star only person thistle. that likes star thistle. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and uh, um, you got a fair amount of um, holes in the ground out here too. Mm-hmm. How do you control what's going on with the the gophers or what do you call them? Ground squirrels or we got gophers? ground squirrels. We okay. got gophers. We got jackrabbits and uh, we saw a little tails. bunny earlier yeah. uh, driving down. Yeah, there, so yeah. we don't we don't bother the rabbits. They don't bother us. Um, and if they do bother us, it's such a small scale. We just kind of the angels share. Right. Same with the birds. You know, we used to net the vineyard. And now we just kind of let um, the hawks and all the other predators kind of deal with that for us. So with the ground squirrels, it's the same thing. We, uh, we don't use any um, poisons at all. We do use old fashioned traps mm-hmm. where it's, a, you know, those metal traps. Yep. And we set those regularly we've got guys out there that are constantly trying to get the gophers um outboxes is huge they eat i forget how many hundreds of rodents every year so the more outboxes you have the more owls you have and i i had to have that explained to me because i'm like well what why, why can't the owls just use the trees like they always have but um barn owls it's um they're really sensitive about where they can nest and where they can survive well right so you can drastically increase the population by putting it out. Would well, they like having their own space, like their own little... Yeah, yeah. And when you do find them in the wild, they are in a hollowed out section in a tree. Huh. And um, if it's too high or the hole's too big, they're more likely to have, you know, raccoons or somebody climb in there and eat the babies uh... and all that stuff. So their survival rate in the wild isn't that great. And anything you can do to increase their odds decreases your gopher's odds and and it's amazing like if you've ever had the chance to clear out an owl box which probably not a lot of people have (laughs) how many uh, pellets that you find in it and a pellet is a digested rodent of some sort it Um, looks like the like uh pirates of the caribbean coming into the cave and there's just skeletons everywhere but it's all (laughs) gophers so it's like really gratifying i mean we we had one on our property we didn't the owl didn't come back this year but last year when i cleaned it out um, I mean, there were hundreds of yeah. pellets and, and we had rodent problems. And once that owl came in and we knew he was there or she was there, it, we didn't have rodents anymore. I mean, it was wow. remarkable. Yeah. Yeah, it um, can be really effective. Yeah. But do, 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 are they hunting at night? Yeah. Yes. So you yeah. got the hawks so during the day the and the dogs during the day yeah. and then the owls take, take over at night. Yeah. So, the, well, the owls, I mean, the, the dogs... Um, when we, I don't know about the, how much the dogs get. Sometimes the dogs surprise us and come back with stuff. And you're like, wow, you actually caught that? I didn't think mm. you were that fast. <laughs> but um, we'll park the sheep on a hillside that's got a bunch of ground squirrel holes. And that ruins the ground squirrels week because they just lost all their cover. And then there's guardian dogs in the pen with them for, uh, yeah. <laughs> for a week. So they got to get, they got to leave the hole sometime. Right, right. Yeah, the, um, interesting. And then um, we've been bringing in cats, a lot of cats. Um, It's worked really well. And so there's a lady that brings us like junkyard cats. Like, I don't know where she's getting these wild cats. And then she... Junkyardcats.com. Yeah, probably. (laughs) And she has them neutered, uh, spayed and neutered. Okay, I was going to ask about that. Yeah. And then um, we got to keep them in a cage and keep them fed for a week. And they try to kill us. They're like really wild cats. Right. Um, feeding a cat in a small cage when it doesn't want you is really uh, exhilarating. Well, try putting one in its little 
to go thing to take it to the vet one day. Like, like I know my cat, I'm like, do I, do I go in backwards, sideways? And I still end up bleeding either way. It doesn't matter. You just have to use a, have a hard trap on it to catch it before you take it to the vet. I don't know if my wife would be down Appreciate with that. that. No. The names have a heart. But what do you, what do you, then what do you do? You turn these cats loose? Like it. No. So we have, um, different barns. Um, and like we've actually built a little, uh, hut that has a kind of a, a cat door that the cats can go in and out of. And then we just feed, keep f- cat food in there regularly. And they've helped a lot with rodents as wow. well. Yeah. So, um, they're just constantly, you just, everywhere you look, you'll just see a cat out in the vineyard block hunting and right. those guys are efficient. So. Oh, I bet they're having fun too. Yeah. yeah it's not a bad life. Yeah. So. My mom grew up on a dairy, and they used to always comment how people used to come and just drop cats at the end of their driveway, mm-hmm. like kittens. And they always said, you know, the people used to just figure, oh, well, there's lots of milk there. Just let them go, you know? <laughs> just seemed like a good place for them. But they never had rodents growing up because there were cats. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. So. It's, again, we take animals off things, and we mess up the whole cycle of stuff. And then we're like, oh, man, I've been poisoning rats for 10 years. Could have just yeah. got a cat. <laughs> Right, right. Well, tell us a little bit about the history of this property. Like, when did when did the Haas family take over the the land here? Oh, I'm gonna miss speak on the year. So no. I think it's um, late '90s. Bought the property, um, and this story is amazing. I don't know how many of your followers know the story of Tuttle Let's Creek. let's okay. assume none of it's, them. It's it's unusual because. Um, when uh, Robert Haas and the uh, well, the Haas family and the Prin family decided they were going to do this venture, um, they looked all over California trying to find an area where they could do roans because they just saw back then there just wasn't a lot of roans being done in California and they felt like the climate was really similar. So since they couldn't find blocks of roan varieties to say, oh, roans grow good here, they decided to go um, looking for Zinfandel because Zinfandel comes from Croatia in that same kind of microclimate that we have, or they had in Southern Rhone. And so they, they thought that would be a good place to start. And um, guess who grows a lot of Zinfandel? <laughs> Paso uh, Robles. Yeah, so um, they're also looking for limestone. And so they were looking a lot in Northern California. They were interested down Santa Barbara. Um, but they eventually were led to Paso Robles and saw all this limestone cuts out of the, um, the hillsides and, uh, and then found this property and took some soil samples and had it sent in. And the soil was even worse than, than in France. So they were really excited. Yeah. When you say worse, explain what that means. Uh, it's rocks. It's all, it's all limestone rocks, you know, and if it's not limestone rocks, it's, uh, broken down black clay which is from the parent soil the limestone rocks limestone's funny how it it starts off the parent soil is a white rock and it oxidizes into a very black clay uh, that holds water like nobody's business it will not run off you know we can get five six inches of rain non-stop in 24 hours on our hills that are limestone and there won't be a drop of water coming off them just, they just sponge hold it. it yeah as opposed to if you go three miles west of us towards the coast, it all turns to sandstone. And after an inch or two of rain, it's running off. Hmm. So totally huge difference in soil. Um, so 
And one of the interests with this limestone is it the the fruit seems to hold acid way way later, right? So we're getting these crisp mm -hmm. wines off the property. They didn't fully understand at the time um, uh, what uh, the the change in temperatures morning to night. Right. That the, being the such, dinernals. Thank you. Yeah, I I wasn't even gonna try. Yeah, I probably said it wrong. So okay, you but, did, but we know okay. it, they know what we're talking <laughs> about. I, I'm I'm known for pronouncing everything wrong on the podcast. Bart's got his own dictionary. <laughs> yeah. So the. You know, we're not directly in the Templeton Gap, but we're only 12 miles from the coast. And so we get this big influx. Sometimes we're getting Salinas fog coming all the way into here. And sometimes it's Templeton Gap fog. But all summer long, we get mornings that are, you know, in their 50s. And it can get all the way up to 105 out That's here. That's stupid crazy. Yeah. Huge I mean, swing. 50 degree shift is yeah. like Amazing. Insane. Yeah. So, um I don't know if they knew that was going to be so such a big deal on this property and that the whites would be as good as they are on yeah. this property. Um, but okay, I'm jumping ahead. So they get the property and they decide that all the material that they would buy Rhone varieties here. So, you know, there was stuff out in the valley. They were doing Syrah and stuff like that, but they'd been growing Syrah for bulk out there. So they would be taking cuttings from the vine that produced the most tonnage, which right. was not what we wanted. Right. And so the decision to go all the way back to France and get original wood from France that would be more true to the Rhone um, variety was a big decision and a hard decision because um, everything had to go through quarantine. Right. So that went through New York. Um, and we, how long is that quarantine? It, it can be anywhere from three to 12 years. Some wow. stuff took even longer, I think. I, I know... I know we had stuff that was in there for 12 years. And so imagine you'll get like six cuttings and what they do in quarantine, they'll, they'll check it for virus and then they'll grow fresh wood and then they check that for virus. And if there's virus, they cut it back and grow fresh wood and they keep doing that until they get clean wood. Problem is over the, when it takes that long in quarantine, they're finding viruses we didn't know existed. <laughs> So, so we're moving right. forward. Tech, uh, unfortunately, science is just going opening another door than quarantine's right. going, right. you know. Right. Yeah. And so it just took a really long time for stuff to get cleared. And so we just um, last year put in the ground the last variety from Southern Rhone that we hadn't had. So that completes the the whole. Yeah. So let's see if we can Marsan Rousson, Viognier, Grenache Blanc, Picpoul, Syrah. Grenache, Mauvedre, Carignan, Sanso, Cunoise, Terret Noir, uh, um, Claret Blanche. You're That's right 13. They, I but th I think you you might actually have a uh, Muscardine too. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think you guys have got like 14 or 15. And for, yeah, for people. For I Rhone, think they added some recently to the. There's the some where, where it's Rome. weird where it'll be like Grenache Blanc, Grenache Gris, or yeah, Picpoul yeah, yeah. Blanc, Picpoul Rosé, or something yeah. added on to it. And then we just were with uh, Vicky Carroll from the, the Hospice de Rhone yesterday, and she would, we were asking about Petite Syrah, and she was like, ah, if people want to pour their Petite Syrah, we'll, we'll, we'll count it in there. But that was, <laughs> that was new to us. I don't think you guys have any Petite on the property. No, no. Okay. Um, yeah, so, so since we brought in all this fresh material instead of starting a winery or instead the, the typical plan is you you know you buy the land you plant a vineyard with stuff you get from a nursery instead we became a nursery right. and started um making our own material so what's amazing is we got a cutting 
from nursery sometimes. You know, sometimes they would only only one cutting would survive of the six that they would send in from France. Wow. So you have one piece of wood that's alive and you need to propagate that into thousands of vines. Right. Um, which was a biblical task. It's like the ultimate seed. Yeah. Well, and it's there's only one growing season a year. Yeah. Period, right? Yeah. So you grow a plant and it grows as much wood as it can grow and then you take cuttings off of that and you make as many plants as you can and the next year you multiply it wow. and you keep doing that and so what was great is they they brought all this material over and then made it available to the public right. that was the greatest and thing. it was pretty cool because if there's roans and robles, there's a good chance the wood came from Tablas Creek at some well, point. Well, and yeah. if there's roans in California, it's a good chance yeah. it came from Tablas yeah. Creek. Yeah. A lot of our stuff up north is yeah. the same way. Yeah. So that um, that was amazing just to start with that, you know. Right. So they st- I feel like they started on a good note. And then then they develop um, the vineyard all from their own wood and um, start making the wine. And and the wines have been really cool. Yeah. You know I mean, obviously people are big fans. And I the making wines that nobody even knew how to pronounce. Right. You know, Jason says that, you know, it's <laughs> like when, when he started, nobody even knew what they were making. You know, it's like, what is this? You know, and right. um, the, so a process of educating the consumer over a lot of years, it, um, you know, it took, it took a lot of time. Yeah. They, yeah. they, they kind of thought it would fly off the shelf at first, but it, um, just just based on the fact that oh, oh it's the the parent family yeah the parent family like this is going to be huge everybody and and like most people in california unless they're really into roans i don't know who the parent family is you know yeah. so um so they you know they start off with their wines being um uh, esprit de bocastel you know and so it was like in the spirit of bocastel and it, at some point it was kind of like you know we've we've established ourselves well enough and we um we're always going to be making it in in the um, in the the style and trying to make you know the, the reason Bob came here was to try to make the Frenchest wine, most Rhone style wine he could in Paso Robles and see how much he could do it, and uh, you know the Spree de Tablas and um, you know the white and the red are both you know really became that. Which yeah, is it's funny amazing. how that they had that name uh, Spree de Bocastel until Jason thought that they. They had to earn the right to actually put Tablas Creek on there. Yeah. And then when they did, he felt like, okay, yeah. cool. I think we're we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. So let's let's put that on there. Yeah, I feel like they've been very respectful. Yeah, and I th- I think uh, you know I, uh, all the neighbors feel that way too. I, they they've uh, they've been they've been good neighbors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you're surrounded by. It was a cool drive out here because you're surrounded by some cool um, wineries. I mean, we drove by Linen Coloto mm-hmm. on the way out, and then you've got Halter right next to you, yeah. Booker down yeah. the down, down the, the road. road. So, yeah, if you're into Rhone wines, you know those names. Yeah, yeah. And what a beautiful property, man. This is like uh, what what is it total acres? Like two hundred, two hundred sixty. So yeah. And so do you guys sell, you know, a lot of the well-known vineyards down here um, sell grapes to several, you know, um, winemakers. Do you guys sell any fruit or is it all kept in-house? It's it's a little out of my department. I don't think we do. I think it's all kept in-house. Yeah. Um, we do uh, buy fruit locally for the Patalan project, right. okay. uh, which has also been really cool. You know, Patalan is French word for kind of neighborhood or community. And... Um, 
you know, all a lot of these producers, vineyards that um, we supplied wood to years ago and realizing, hey, they're making really good fruit, you know, and and, and so we kind of created a blend that uh, what we felt like represented Paso Robles and the, the whole community of people that are passionate about Rones. And um, it's, a, it's a really neat part of the program because we get to work with a lot of farmers, um, not just us and and you know learn from them and they learn from us and just that whole transfer of information is pretty pretty cool right okay. and well sorry i want to i want to get this on the on the record about you saying how because this is the first time i'd ever heard this about people drinking wine on certain days bart has obviously <laughs> familiar with this but we explain this thing so that where do you even start with this one yeah i mean this goes back to you know the biodynamic calendar and the biodynamic calendar takes in the lunar movements and um, yes, the we're season. in California. Um, <laughs> and 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 according to the calendar, there are days that they recommend that you do certain procedures in the vineyard. There's planting days. There's harvesting days. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and so people they have say taken like there's that. There's fruit days. There's root days. Correct. And they kind of yeah, break it ahead. up that yeah. way. Yeah. And, and so there is a, it's mainly this app um, that's, I can't remember the name of it, and I'm going to resist looking. You guys can look it out. But Rudolf Steiner didn't make this app, so who came up with this? Well, the the, the new marketers of the biodynamic <laughs> okay. movement, okay. you know. But on this app... But it, it's based on the same calendar system philosophy. that Rudolf Steiner had. Right. And it's, and I guess it's a, to build a foundation, I'm just going to say the moon moves the tides and we know that and the sun has an energy that grows plants and we know that and can power things right so we understand that at least two planets out there affect earth drastically right um rudolph steiner is saying that there's other planets that are also affecting us right whether we understand completely how that works or unseen right yeah and um and so i we don't uh, pretend to understand what's going on, but we found at Tavos Creek several the tasting rooms constantly doing it, checking the calendar to see if it's a fruit day or a root day or something like that. And they're all convinced. They they think that they can. Um, the the wine's way more expressive on certain days than it is, it is on other days. So um, yeah, I'd encourage all your listeners to dabble in it and yeah see i mean it, it, it really is there is something to be said about you know it, to read the app sometimes it would say not a good day for wine which to me is ridiculous, ridiculous. <laughs> um but, <laughs> but the fact is is that there are probably days where a wine expresses itself differently and and we all know if you drink the same wine at you know over a course of a month or a week there are if you open a bottle on a Tuesday and next week you open it, the wine's not always exactly the same. It no. it tastes a little different. It shows itself different. And there's feelings that that has to do with whether it's a root day or a fruit day. And, you know, the thought is, I think if it's a root day, the wine is less expressive. And if it's a fruit day, it shows itself better. Right. And 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 it's it is kind of common sense as much as it's crazy. Um no, I mean, Maybe working in even it. wines that express themselves like a wine that is like too fruit forward could be more reserved on a, a root. Like you could play around right. with it a little bit. Right. It could get right. really interesting. Right. You're like, oh, this wine is better on this day right. than on this day. Yeah. But but, you know, when I was at, at Benziger, 
we used to try to rack barrels for the biodynamic wines on the new moon. And the idea was that was where there was the most gravitational pull. And so you would get better racks, most of the solids. And and we did do, we measured how clean the wine was. We would rack on a, on a root day or on a new moon and rack a, the same wine on a full moon. And we did find that the new moon, the wines were cleaner um, and they were more expressive, you know, and they mm. showed better. Um, take that and consider it. And, right. you know, it's it's just ideas. Yeah, no, I wish you could see it. he's shrugging his shoulder. It's very casually. He's not. <laughs> we're, we're not sure we have this figured out at all. We're just saying. That. No, we, we don't. I mean, it's it's just like we were talking about biodynamic um, preparations yeah. and you know filling cow horns with manure and then burying them for six months I believe <laughs> and then pulling them out and then using that thing that is transferred transformed from manure to compost mm -hmm. and how that helps create energy and microbiological life in the soils the fact is is that there's a difference in the manure when it comes out and people really believe that using that on blocks of vineyard and not using it in other places, the stuff that has a biodynamic prep, the vineyards are healthier and, and, and um, grow better. Yeah. And yeah. basically and, science just hasn't caught up with that yet. Right. Which, and I think farmers know their land better than scientists working in a lab somewhere. Right. So. Well, yeah, Nathan, will you explain the, we were talking about the height of the, canopy in certain rows that you wish you could have the sheep in the vineyard year round but it's just not possible because they yeah we we've actually we've got a, uh, a couple rows that we're going to plant um trellised up higher to kind of test out this idea this is already being done by kelly mulville up at piscini's ranch um so anybody interested in this should reach out to him i'm probably going to have his email blow up but um I think it's I think it's a game changer. Sheep in the vineyard is awesome for, you know, maintaining the weeds during the winter and for adding fertilizer. That's all great, but what the fact is March 15th bud break happens and the grass starts really growing. So from March 15th to May 15th is when we have an explosion of grass on the central coast um, and that fluctuates a couple weeks depending on where you are in california but generally somewhere around there so all the tractors start up all the tractors have to do the passes just like they would if i hadn't had sheep there there's a little less grass but also they were grazing and fertilizing so the grass is really healthy and grows really fast on march 15th you know so so it's a, a blessing and a curse you could say so trellising up vines, actually, if you have um, mechanically harvested vineyards, you're there. Like it's already ready. If you have mechanically harvested vineyards and you're not running sheep, please explain to me why. Because it seems like a no brainer. Um, a lot of people don't want to own sheep and deal with the hassle of having six sheep and all the, you know, it's a lot of mouths to feed. And what are you going to do with them, with them in the fall? I, you know, um, well, you can do what we did last night at uh, uh, Hatch at the Hatch. Shout you out can to eat Hatch. one of them. Yeah, yeah. We had a nice braised lamb. Yeah, That's awesome. That braised. was one of our biodynamic lambs. Yeah, yeah. and it was delicious. That it was I delicious. I only sell it to to restaurants that'll take care of our animals, and the Hatch takes really good care of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they were good. Yeah, 
That's awesome. But but yeah, explain to people. So if you have your canopy down too low, the sheep will actually come and they like to nibble. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they will nibble. So they won't touch the fruit um, before veraison because too if you've acidic. ever had grapes before yeah. veraison goes down, or yeah. even after veraison, if you know if the sugar's not there. It's tannic and bitter, you know. I Whereas mean, birds, leaves are birds leave grapes alone until they're ready to be picked. Right. So the sugar you know, levels the come up. are yep. the exact same yeah. way. Yep. So the problem is, uh, if we were in Canada, this would be a different conversation. I'd be doing leaf thinning with the herd. But I need all the canopy I can here in Paso Robles because we get sunburn. Yeah. So I can't have them in the canopy at all. Um, so um, trellising up higher is a theory. You know, I, I, I haven't tested it. I can't prove it. And I'm, I guarantee you it's not the perfect answer. I guarantee you there'll be a train wreck at some point. Well, will they will they get up on their hind legs and nibble at stuff? Some of them will. Okay. Yeah. So they like, even like yeah. jump up on each other. So, and, well, so that's but how goats I figure more out, than sheep probably, right? Yeah, but my sheep are pretty goaty. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so dorpers are... Um, are kind of halfway there okay. to goats, you know. Okay. So you kind of go from really wool sheep. Um, Arctic wool sheep are really picky about what they eat, okay. and they want really good grass. And then as you move towards goats, they get more voracious and care less about what kind of grass they're eating. Less picky. Interesting. Um, so, dorpers are great. They're right in the middle. You know, they'll eat poison oak and star thistle. Wow. Um, which means they'll eat just just about anything. Um, not they're not as voracious as goats because goats will end up in the tree, you know. But they will stand on their hind legs. But you put our sheep in a pasture and um, say like a, a poison oak bush, they will graze it up to fifty five inches. There's a line right across right. that bush where they stopped eating, where they just couldn't get to it anymore. So that's how we, you know, we're guesstimating that number. Um, so, and they could still, you know, nibble some leaves off the bottom of the branches and it, I still might have to pull them out during, you know, right after vibration when the sugar comes on. But, uh, but this, I mean, this, the potential is insane. It could, it could shut down tractor work in the springtime when we're doing, you know, hundreds of hours of tractor work, which is expensive labor wise, diesel wise, fuel. every week something breaks on a tractor and that's at least $500 just to look at it, you know? Yeah. So it's just, uh, and well, the whole it, time you're fer fertilizing. Yeah. yeah. And, and it, it really is fascinating out in the vineyard today, looking around. I mean, this is an organic vineyard, so it's not, you know, clean underneath the vine rows. And as we always tell people, mm -hmm. if you see something that's clean under the vine rows, you know, steer away from it, actually. <laughs> yeah. But, but the it's fact also is... clean your gut when you drink right. it. <laughs> but the fact is, is that if you were able to get them out for a couple more months, mm -hmm. um, it would make a difference in, oh, yeah. in how the vineyard looked. But I know? wouldn't... So instead of, you know, picture a vineyard that's clean. So... Right. Everything has been tilled to the umph right. umph degree, right? right? So organic farming, that was one of the downsides. You know, we all went to organic farming, no more chemicals, but we're going to disc everything to powder, and right. then it's all going to run into the Salinas River and off to the ocean. Right. All our good topsoil we lose because we killed our soil. Correct. So this is an intact surface that hasn't been disked and we've got a thatch of grass that's a lawn, basically, that's been mowed down but not overgrazed. And it's just dry in there, and it reflects sunlight. It holds in moisture. It, I mean, it, you have an intact root system that can still communicate plant to plant as far as, you know, 
I'm feeling sick. You're not. I'm passing nutrients from you, which has already been proven, you know. So every time that gets tore up, you're breaking up those communication paths, you know. Um, so now I'm arguing against disking, but um, that's that's a I, I'm I don't even want to go down that road. I personally would I I think there's a lot to think about towards not disking, um, not tilling, but, um, well, and, and that's been talked about, you know, um, Morgan, we're Peterson. already here at Tavis Creek moving, you know, we do less and less. We, we disc every other row. We're trying to, have you mitigate. tried to, have you tried a crimper yet? We've looked into crimping. We, yeah. uh, we, we're spinning, you know, wearing too many hats right now, but sure. we've definitely, yeah. I mean, that's something that we've heard talked radar, about. Yeah. yeah. Crimping. Yeah. And then another thing is like planting um, crimson clover or a clover, a low clover mm-hmm. right underneath the vines because it will suppress things growing up. And then you don't have to get in and right. do as much work under. And yeah, these are so all just crimp, ideas. The crimping, I think um, one of our concerns, which you know, we don't know, but I would love to hear some feedback on um, the rodents, the voles. And, um, you know, we get a lot of those little voles. And so keeping um, it clean, at least using like the sunflower right around the vines keeps that zone clean because they will girdle every single vine. Um, And so our concern was leaving that much organic matter laid down in the vineyard would just make a vole paradise. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Um, Which was disappointing when we thought about that but it, it's it's a reality you know at the end of the day we we do have to grow vines <laughs> right right we're not we're not yeah. making dolmas or christmas yeah. reeves right right right, right. <laughs> so um but yeah we got to keep thinking i gotta keep our head on a swivel because we don't have the answers to all these and there's a lot of holes um that we'd love to see figured out by us or someone else i, I mean share I, with us we just give you guys so much credit for the commitment to this and um, the hard work that's being done and you know are the wines better because of it and the wines are pretty damn good so <laughs> it's hard to argue that they're, they're pretty damn good and then the subconscious effect of of our story yeah. definitely helps definitely yeah. gives at least 20 percent more to the taste of the wine 20 <laughs> yeah. you've measured it i measured i made that up but i think it, maybe way more it depends on how influential you are <laughs> get the right. marketing department out it might get up to 40 to 50 percent yeah exactly <laughs> well it's like a placebo i mean right it's it is yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and but who doesn't want to feel good I mean, about drinking what they're drinking and wine since the beginning since the heavy glass bottle to the cork coming out it's all placebo i mean it right. definitely and I, it, whether it's true or not, I just, I mean, does it matter to you? Like, I mean, did you enjoy it? Did you have a great time? Right. Uh, on some yeah. level, it's like, yeah, like I'm okay with being tricked. Yeah. <laughs> right. So what's the plan That's going a forward? Marketing message I just put out there, but whatever. <laughs> I, I think Tablas is okay. With, they're fine. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think, think I can. Ever... I don't think I can rock the foundation yeah, too no. much. I mean, th- there's very few things that you could do. I think <laughs> yeah. would take it down. But what's the plan going forward? You think for the property for you personally? What do you you want to? You like what you're doing here? Yeah. No, I love it. Um, there's no place I know of um, that gives me this much freedom to experiment. I mean, whether it's like, you know, penning off the sheep at night and then weighing all the manure on the 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 wine scale and, and the winery to see how much manure we're producing, or baling all of the cover crop. Um, that grew in between the vines into little Swiss round bales uh, right. 
Um, and you've admittedly made mistakes too, where Jason mistakes. is like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah no, I, it's, it's, uh, they've been gracious to let me, um, you know, that's part of it. Bull, bull in a China store kind of thing. But, uh, but yeah, we, um, they, they've allowed me to make mistakes and, um, a lot of those mistakes taught us things, definitely yeah. taught me something at least. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, I, I think, uh, let's see, going forward, something I'd like to, um, on the new, on the new property, the, the more forested area, I'm really interested in, um, agroforestry, you know, so really thinking top down on the forest and how we can improve from the bottom up or the top down or bottom up, whatever you want, um, uh, bringing in more perennials, not bringing them in. Seeding perennials almost never works. Um, perennials respond to how they're, you know, the landscape. So uh, perennials do good in a fungal-rich environment. Annuals do good in a bacterial-rich environment. So all you got to do is look at your pasture and say, okay, it's all annual oat grass, and this is so it's heavy bacterial soil. So how do I move it towards fungal? So more cover, more moisture, you know, think about um, mushrooms, you know. Right. So moving it towards um, a healthier soil will naturally bring perennials back. Um, what's that guy back east? Uh, Joe Salatin. The, he's an organic farmer guy. He's, uh, he's doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And he started running pigs in a forest on his ranch in a different way moving them faster more like the buffaloes you know so uh, everything comes back to um the buffalo in the united states made some of the best topsoil in the world what happened and how and what was it about what the buffalo were doing that was it was it just there was a lot of them no it was the fact that big large large herds of animals have to be moving constantly because they're constantly crapping and pissing on the grass right so you've got the healthy ones up front the young ones moving the fastest you've got the old and the sick at the back dying out leaving tons of organic matter behind them yep. and you've got predators following consuming all that yep. right breaking down organic matter in a really really fast way that's a really fast mineral cycle so what we're doing is we're just trying to mimic that so Joe Salatin was doing something like that with pigs. So high concentration of animals in one spot for a short amount of time and then moving them off it. And he started getting this grass that nobody in his county recognized. Hmm. And um, so he brings in these guys and they don't know what it is. And then they look it up and they find out it's a grass they thought had gone extinct in their state. The seed bank is still there. History is still in the soil. The yeah. stuff will come back if we start changing the way we manage the land. Yeah. And um, so I'm very curious to see what Tablas Creek looked like 100 years ago. And I think we can do that in the forest, right. you, you know, properly managing livestock. So every year I'm looking for new plants. I'm seeing which plants came that didn't come last year. How did how we grazed that area affect those plants? And I don't know. There's a million variables, but I'm trying to crack it every time. You know, every time I'm looking at it, I'm like, is it because we did this or is it because we did this? And experimenting and trying and so. So your background, you grew up here. Grew up here. Grew up just a couple miles over on Willow Creek. And your family, were they farmers? Mm-hmm. Well, my, uh, well, my grandpa was a uh, small engine repair guy, so he fixed all the chainsaws out here. <laughs> and um, then my mom 
met my dad. I was, I guess they were 20, 21. And my dad was an architect. And so he's been okay. an architect locally. But um, I guess I'm wondering, like, where did your passion for farming and plants I, come from? Um, I, I Well, I went, uh, I moved to Mexico when I was 18 and um, ended up living in Mexico for 12 years. What? Yeah, I know. This is a random, this is, it, it comes right, back we around. love this stuff. So the last couple of years in Mexico, I got into the wine industry in Valle Guadalupe. Yeah. Um, I was working for an architect that um, uh, was involved in several wineries and designed several other ones and was related to Hugo da Costa, which is kind of the poster child in Valle Guadalupe. And so ended up working for Hugo at Casa de Piedra and um, ended up working at several different wineries. And then he put me in charge of building a winery and um, planting a new vineyard. And um, I could not convince um, them down there at the time to run sheep and vineyards. And I had gotten obsessed with it while I was down there. Huh. And I knew that 250 wineries had popped up back in Paso Robles um, since I'd left. Wow. And uh, I came home and it was like all over my resume that like I wanted to run sheep in vineyards, even though I'd never ran sheep in any vineyard. Um, and I'm smoothing out the story to make it more That's poetic right. than it really That's is. Right. Um, like, wow, he, yeah, what forethought. Uh, it wasn't quite that good. So, um, so I sent out all these resumes. I sent out literally 150 resumes in Paso Robles when I got here in 2011. I got two responses. And um, the one, the only one that offered me an actual job was Rangeland, um, Laird Fauché. And uh, it, I, if I could go back to that day and at that moment, it, I'd still take that decision. It was, um, he allowed me to learn on his property. Um, you know, it's like some people have been like, okay, let's buy 10 sheep. And Laird was like, let's buy a hundred sheep and see what happens. And um, I made mistakes for almost a decade now of, you know, just learning how to raise sheep, keep them alive. And, um, and he was just, yeah, he was, he was, he was his tough, tough boss, but he, he really allowed me to learn a lot. And so I'm very grateful to that. Yeah. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. So that's awesome. That's so, awesome. Yeah. And, th and they're still running a sheep operation there and you can still, I think they have a, um, a lamb club at Rangeland and they have a beef club. If if you're looking for grass-fed beef in California, I think there's a waiting list for it. But huh. it's I I mean I know most of those animals. There's some new ones since I left, right, but right. Um, very healthy, very happy animals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so highly recommend those guys. All right. Well, we want to turn our listeners on to um, a TED talk that that you kind of tuned us into by Alan Savory about Absolutely. desertification, which. Sounds delicious, but it is not. <laughs> I never heard that term before. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll post the link to that. Let, yeah, we'll yeah, do that we with well this show. say anything because he does such a good job. He does. We couldn't he do does. better. So. It's engrossing. It's only about 20 minutes long, 22 yeah. minutes long. Alan Savory, certification yeah. on TED Talks. Yeah, we'll must see. Up. Well, thank you for uh, the tour today. Thank you for talking to us. Absolutely. We really appreciate it. Um, um, hopefully, Bart and I will... I want to go in and taste a couple of wines if possible. I'm yeah. sure that I'm sure that's doable. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. And um, you know, if you want to buy wines from here, you can go to I, I think it's just topless mm -hmm. right? Um mm -hmm. you can um 
you know, if you're local in the, in the Sonoma area, you can find them at uh, Bottle Barn, which is where I get my, um, my Patalin and my Esprit de Tablis, uh, whites because I think they're the prettiest wines and give you the best bang for the buck actually out of wines in California, hands down. Um, and it's been, it was a dream of mine to come here. You know, every time uh, we'd come down for uh, HDR, we always just kind of stuck at the fairgrounds and never, right, never made right. it off property. So, yeah, really appreciate you letting us um, just poke around. Yeah, and, and Tablas Creek wines are are found across the country. You know, I would you, imagine you probably have to look know. for them a little bit. But any fine wine shop or um, you know uh, restaurant that has a curated um, list probably has something. Yeah, and and, and if uh, not, ask for it. And for me, some of the most balanced wines ever made and for some they're not for everybody for that reason i find that people that are into oaky buttery chardonnays don't really get mm-hmm. um some of the whites that come off this property yeah. and and that's okay because um, there's more for us that's exactly right yeah um if you want to download for them because we're drinking this right. yeah <laughs> so it works out for both parties <laughs> you can uh catch previous episodes at radiomisfits.com i want to get a shout out to melanie harding at uh bone niche and uh leon at tacky family vineyards for letting us stop by and also to vicky carroll from uh, hdr hospice to Rowan hospice for being a gracious host uh inviting her into her into her home and um um, serving us a really nice rosé from uh, Chris Hamill, who's the uh, vineyard manager at Bien Nacido and, and makes a really good uh, makes a really good rosé. Bart, you got anything else you want to close up? No, I, yeah, it's been fun being on the road and getting out of Sonoma a little bit. Yep. If anyone wants to sponsor, Brian and I go on the road again. We're happy to. No, it's been great, and um, we will and, we will put your business on the side. If you got one of those magnet things, we'll put it on the side of the car on the way right, down. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, and you, you. Uh, sorry, uh, Nathan, you want to get out to tell people about what you just kind of came back from. Uh, yeah. Um, so me and a good friend, uh, I guess a year and a half ago, started a nonprofit called Clean Cruiser Project. And the idea has um, been to create a sustainable off-roading, overlanding, road tripping series on, on how to travel around the world um, sustainably, you know, and be more um, environmentally friendly when we're doing it. And we don't really have... The answers, um, we're kind of letting people learn along with us. We're asking we're, questions. Yeah, though. we're asking questions yeah. and trying to figure out how to do it. So so we just did, we've been building up for the past year. Like we restored two old 40 series land cruisers and um, got a bunch of people sponsoring us, which was awesome, and drove the trucks from Paso Robles down to Leon, Nicaragua and back in six weeks, 9,000 miles. Um, we burned... 800 gallons of diesel fuel and put 16,000 pounds of carbon into the atmosphere, which is the opposite of what I do at work here at Talbot's Creek. My whole idea and job is to sequester carbon. So we, along the way from um, in Mexico and Guatemala and Nicaragua, um, we planted trees along the way. So we planted 600 trees. Um, a tree planted in the tropics in the first year will sequester 50 pounds of carbon. So that um, the, just the first year of those 600 trees will be 30,000 pounds of carbon sequestered. So we more than covered all of our emissions on that trip in um, less than the first year. And then, you know, every year after that's just bonus. Exponential. Yeah. Um, but uh, 
it wasn't hard. It, you know, well, it was hard. The driving was really hard. Um, planting trees was not a big deal. It was only a couple days of the whole trip. And that was kind of the message we wanted to show. You know, you can go online and um, pay another nonprofit or, or us if you want to, <laughs> to right. plant trees. And, um, but there's a lot of them out there they're, and they're, they're, they're all great. They're not all great. You should definitely do your homework, but um, it's not that hard to offset our carbon emissions. And so that's kind of been the message that we've been pushing so far. Yeah. And then I think next series, we're going to be talking more about, you know, you go camping on a weekend and what do you do? You go to the grocery store and buy all this plastic. <laughs> Right. Because you don't want to have your cheese exposed, so you get like the most wrapped up container system for the cheese and everything. Just so you come back from camping, and you've made more trash than you would in like two weeks at home. Um, so trying to break that down, figure out how we can pack out less trash, make less trash in general. My wife is a huge like no waste individual. She's Nazis all over the house. Doesn't let me open up anything or use anything with plastic. So it's starting to rub off. And so yeah. we, uh, but we tr wanted to be kind of the, we're not rednecks and we're not tree huggers. Right, you know, right. I think everybody, the majority of all of us sit somewhere in the middle. Right. We love the outdoors right. and it kind of takes a vehicle to go explore the outdoors. Right. Whatever you do, whether you're a cyclist or a rock climber or a trail hiker or whatever. Got to get know, to the trail. You got to get to the trail yeah. and it takes a vehicle. And the worst thing you can do hands down in your life is turn on a car that produces more carbon emissions than anything else you do so um but we like our vehicles so how can we do that and still be a positive influence on the environment right. so that was that so clean cruiser project um you can find us on instagram facebook it, uh, the website's www.cleancruiserproject.com so awesome awesome yeah, check it out all right thank you all for listening uh if you want to leave us a review uh, that helps us move up in the Google standings. And we are on uh, iHeartRadio now, as well as uh, Stitcher, Hulu, and uh, all the other Apple. Spotify, Spotify. Apple. And, of course, the Radio Misfits podcasting nation. That's right. Shout out to uh, Ed the Podfather. Sorry for the late upload this morning, but we were in a hotel that had some crappy Wi-Fi. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you all for listening. We'll look forward to talking to you next week.